listen to me. Trader, I believe that you've received the death message from our ninja empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double-crossed it. Why did you do that? I have to reform the ninja empire. That is why I took away it. That is why I took away it. The golden ninja warrior. The golden ninja warrior. You've got three days in which to return the golden ninja warrior. Right? Or else you die. What, 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 what is that? Or else you die. Go, go, go to hell. Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 14 on Scorpion Thunderbolt and Clash of the Ninjas. And IFD takes their Thunderbolt run of movies into horror territory combined with a partly Taiwanese movie that throws snakes on its actors. It's been multiple movies in Taiwan on that note. And all that and more in our review of Scorpion Thunderbolt. And over at Filmok, they put an ungodly amount of effort into... Clash of the Ninjas to make sure the illusion is intact, that it's totally one movie. All of a sudden, at least from my end, their trickery, their cut and paste sorcery is good? Question mark? Well, we'll uh, we'll break it all down and uh, give you an idea why it's a little bit of an elevated production from Filmark, at least in my opinion. But anyway, I'm going to be with me to break it all down is Neon Harbor said Glazer. So hello and happy 2017 and how are things, buddy? Hey, I am doing pretty well, all things considered. How about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. Yes, uh, all things considered is uh, one of those things like he's probably talking about politics. <laughs> like even if uh, we release this show in like uh, April, they're still going to be like, yep, we're still here. We're doing good. We're doing good. Like fing- fingers crossed it's all going well. Fingers crossed there's be- there'll be ninja talk all throughout 2017 and, and, uh, and, and onwards. Uh, so... Let's not beat around the bush. Let's get into it. Uh, this uh, is the Golden Ninja podcast uh, over on over on the Podcast on Fire network. We are available on the pod- well, our website is available on podcastonfire.com. This show covers ninja movies and the likes. Uh, we, we also have shows on Hong Kong cinema, new and old, uh, Korean cinema, Japanese cinema, sleazy cinema, and we even do commentaries and bonus episodes every now and again. If you have any questions or feedback, and uh, some of you have been very, very lovely to send uh, feedback and uh, sort of fan appreciation for these kind of movies over at uh, our email podcast on fire at googlemail.com all of a sudden it seems to be fine to express yourself positively about ifd and film mark movies and uh, i i think i've said it before but i've i've uh, been impressed that people that just have a lot to say when they hear someone else like this stuff then people just sort of have a lot to say uh, passionately so and i didn't think that was possible for a niche topic or topics and certainly a niche podcast so um you you've certainly had something to do with that as well ed considering the um the web series you did and uh yeah so we're trying to fly the flag and uh further information established by mostly other people uh, here on this show so um yeah so so hit us up podcast on fire at googlemail.com uh, we're all available over on social media we have handy buttons at the top of our website leading to our facebook page you can also after you clicked like in support uh, you can also head over to our group it's called podcast on fire network where we post show updates and talk about general general stuff in a well behaved 
manner. Like there's no trolling. There's only been at the most I've been had to mod use moderating moderating efforts in order to remove uh, bots and stuff that wants to sell sweet sunglasses and what have you. But that's it. We have a very uh, very well natured uh, bunch of people over there. If you want to join us over on Twitter, there's a button available for that. It's at Podcast on Fire. My website for reviews of uh, Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, and uh, and uh, a variety of genres, including these uh, ninja movies uh, from IFD and Filmark, but also movies that were merely released and dubbed by Filmark. As of today, actually, I watched them, uh, and maybe you've seen this because um, you know of these uh, Alexander Lore ninja movies uh, that he did, uh, the Super Ninja, Ninja Death, and what have you, but I watched the movie Ninja Hunter. Have you, have you ever seen that, Dad? I believe that I have. I believe I have a copy of it. I can't recall which one that it is. Their movies that Alexander did with uh, that particular director, James Wu, uh, it's not easy to keep them apart, but man, are they good. That's like frenzied ninja action stuff that Godfrey Ho and the Filmar crew can only sort of dream to achieve because the um, the energy is just uh, something else, man. And uh, it was good. Uh, all good fun. Uh, has a uh, white-haired Abbott character that uh, s- sort of uses his hands, places places them on women's uh, bellies and uh, sucks their sort of life essence out of them in order to achieve you know, supreme martial arts power. So it's a little bit of a naughty movie as well. Uh, they uh, can get aroused by that thing as well. <laughs> so it's uh, it's one of those t- Taiwanese uh, movies. And Filmok were the uh, international distributor for that one. So it merely appears uh, English dubbed and uh, complete. So um, if you haven't seen it, do see that. If you fancy a rewatch, I think, uh, I think you're going to like it. It's pretty um, filled to the brim with action, but not, not in that way where it's, Tons of action and tons of lame stuff in between. Um, barely any comedy, just to the point. Sort of uh, Wu Tang versus Ninja uh, or Wu Tang versus Shaolin. That's essentially the pl- essentially the plot. But man, was it good! Uh, so uh, that's going to be available on SoGoodReviews.com. I do basic video reviews over at SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And I forgot to mention we have, of course, our iTunes feed. There's a button for that. So if you do subscribe to us, leave a star rating and even a written comment. And finally, click the Stitcher radio button. That will lead you to their web presence where you can search out our show for streaming. But you can also stream us on the go if you download the application for free from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Ed, Neon Harbor, always uh, busy, busy. Uh, yeah, so any any particular plans for 2017 that you can and want to reveal? Uh, or want to reveal? Uh, there are a number of things that I have in early stages of development right now. I imagine there will certainly be some more Deja Vu episodes um, in the not-too-distant future. But um, uh, things are a little bit, I want to say, n- nebulous right now, but that won't it won't stay that way for too long. It's a Deja Vu is as... You know, it's a sporadic show. Does that mean there are few movies to choose from, or there's way too many movies to choose from? There are an enormous number of movies. I mean, it's a it's a series that uh, showcases foreign remakes of popular Hollywood films, and uh, there are a remarkable number of them. The real trick is finding enough information about the context in which they were made mm-hmm. in order to make an interesting episode. Yeah, because there are some, for instance, we talked Taiwanese just now, there are some interesting stuff 
out of Taiwan, but uh, as you said, the, the information might not be enough for an episode. I mean, I, I don't, don't, don't know if you ever saw the... It's an all-star vehicle, but Jackie Chan is in it, uh, the movie Island of Fire, um, the prison movie. No, I don't know that one. The filmmaker, Chu Yanping, who made Pink Force Commando and Golden Queen's Commando, he puts like entire scenes out of other movies into it. There's entire scenes from Cool Hand Luke, and he, he just sort of loves movies, man, and copies them very, very well. But they're not full remakes. They're, they're, they're scenes gathered from other movies that make up his entire movie. He's a good filmmaker, though, actually. Uh, but he, he has remade... A, like uh, State of Grace, almost be, um, yeah, beat by beat. He did a movie called Hunting List because he took the finale of State of Grace and put it into another movie of his. When it came to his actual remake of State of Grace, he couldn't just do that finale again, so he just redid the finale to True Romance instead. Amazing. Yeah, and uh, it has some of the biggest and most fun squib effects to come out of Taiwan. You know, I think John Woo only elevated a couple of more times they like shoot out like uh, torpedoes out of uh, out of people's bodies like the psi behind these uh or uh, the blast behind these scripts so is quite uh quite good i mean there's enough info in terms of like you can identify all the people involved i mean they're they're prolific people but um if it may if it's enough info for a day view we'll see in the future but uh, a recommendation re- uh, regardless in terms of uh, having a good time watching absolutely it sounds amazing uh, so, yep, let's uh, take a short musical break and uh, with, with some music stolen or not from Scorpion Thunderbolt from 1985, uh, starring Richard Harrison, directed by Godfrey Ho. And uh, we'll be back to discuss a little bit of background to it and uh, review it properly. So sit tight and we'll be back. And welcome back. And the first review of this episode of the Golden Ninja Podcast is Scorpion Thunderbolt from 1985. And uh, a plot from my review of the film, 14 similar murders uh, in and the police can't get ahead in their investigation. A theory about it is that it's the work of a snake. Uh, Someone puts forth that theory. And the longer Inspector Jackie Coe and colleague Miss Lee spends on this case, the more likely that scenario seems. What doesn't seem likely is the is the fact that the snake in fact has a human form and that it might be Jackie's romantic interest, the photographer called Helen. Meanwhile, Richard Harrison's character, which I believe was called Richard, is uh, seduced and attacked uh, left and right by slaves to the beating drum of a vampire witch just because of a particular ring he wears. So if this doesn't sound like uh, the standard Godfrey Ho put Richard Harrison into into our movie scenario, it, uh, it isn't. Uh, because the Thunderbolt movies... They were action. We had Ninja Thunderbolt, the Mission Thunderbolt is action, but the Thunderbolt movies had, they weren't all Ninja 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 yet, yet. so they were trying out some things here before finding what their cash cow was, and therefore Ninja Terminator Destroyer and so forth. But in terms of the Source movie in Scorpion Thunderbolt, my bet, you know, without knowing and seeing actors, was that it was a Taiwanese Source movie. 
because I recognize a couple of actors in there that I've seen in other IFD movies that were Taiwanese source movies originally. And I was somewhat correct um, because of the casting of uh, Richard Coy in the lead. But the movie turns up in databases connecting to Korean cinema. So therefore this might be a co-production. And the English title that's floating about is Grudge of the Sleepwalking Woman. And that even had a Cantonese or Mandarin dubbed VHS release at one point. So either Hong Kong released or Taiwanese released VHS. And uh, the likes of Jesus Perez Molina and Jack Jensen, I'd like to credit for digging up this info. And uh, I've attached two blog posts on the subject in the show links. So you can see some more elaborate um, elaborate info on this. And also I believe a scan of that VHS that's either Hong Kong released or Taiwanese released, uh, but uh, again, this is important work, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm never going to consider us the ones that are the authorities on this. I'm I'm always considering this show to be a vehicle for furthering info that people already have uh, have dug up, and obviously credit them for that work. So a grudge of the sleepwalking woman that we get at like eighty percent complete here, uh, as as always, because Richard Harrison is only in it for for that requisite standard uh, 10-15 minutes or what have you but uh, what a 10-15 minutes it is at least in my opinion but uh, let me throw it over to you Ed in short what did you think of uh, Scorpion Thunderbolt and was this a first watch if you remember the method of killing is the same as all the others before must be the same man was she a prostitute I expect so no I had seen it before you refer to it as kind of an experiment as they're trying out different genres not just ninjas And to me, this is a very failed experiment. I really like the idea of using horror as a cut-and-paste film. I think that there's a lot to like about Grudge of the Sleepwalking Woman. But what they did with this particular production overall was extremely lazy, and it feels it. I recognize that, uh, but I, I think I, I have a decent amount of fun with this. Uh, but I, those points are totally valid. I can't argue that their experimentation is uh, high class or anything. But and it's also sort of almost disturbingly straight faced. There's no ounce of humor here, but it's still sort of fun to me. It, the sparse Richard Harrison footage is uh, rather quotable and rather adult, as we'll discuss. And and I agree that the the basic monster movie that we get, uh, uh, the original movie that we get here, the concept is all good fun, even though it, do- it the original doesn't seem like it can't compete that much as a monster movie. It's very low budget, but they, they do try some effects. So, but the, the idea that it is a monster movie combined with uh, IFT's uh, plotting here, um, I, it tickles me to an enough degree... Um, when when I watch this horror adventures, uh, Sans Ninjas, but uh, to say it is uh, them at their cut and paste best is certainly a, a big fat lie. It certainly it certainly isn't. But I I can't say I'm ever bored by this. Um, it's uh, it's good fun if you enjoy something that doesn't have ninjas. Uh, it's worth a look, uh, definitely. Let me also like that that idea that you uh, they they did it in the ninja. Uh, run they mixed up genres but uh, we're here now at, at just when the ninja run happened that that idea that you mix up and uh, vary up genres and doesn't just lean on action in in the source movie and 
therefore just action in their footage. You know, when they bring in, when they do that, and in this case, bring in horror, is that an interesting prospect going into an IFD product? And uh, and is that interesting for this IFD product? Like, does it maintain interest for you? Uh, or is it just sort of, well, that happened? I think it's a terrific prospect. Uh, and there is a lot to like about Grudge of the Sleepwalking Woman. I think uh, a number of the effect sequences, particularly when the monster is uh, backlit and they're shooting a bunch of stuff at night, uh, works really well. Three murder cases in Min Street. And then there were two more murders of the same style in Rock Street. And now there's this latest victim who's just been brought in. And that makes 14 women, all murdered in exactly the same way. The film itself is very inconsistent in tone. There's really an opportunity there to fix that by cherry picking what you want to remove and then replacing it with new material. It doesn't really come off in this one um, the way that maybe it could have. Yeah, they certainly don't seem experienced at it. So they're sort of trying their very best to put it together, you know, in, in the end. I mean, they got good at the ninja stuff, but that came with the with the negative that they had a formula after a while and 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 you know when you watch a movie like ninja destroyer or whatever it's it's sort of same old again um so by this being a sort of rare venture it stays in my memory at at the very least Uh, it's not one of ten sure well it's there really isn't a lot of effort to merge the two films and that's what really gets that really sticks in my craw you have this separate horror movie the original film and then it's the only tie to it is that apparently the witch is drumming on a drum (laughs) and that has some effect over what's happening in the other movie except that it's clear in the other movie that there's someone with a snake charming uh flute that's actually causing the woman to turn into a monster and attack so it's it's very obvious that there is no connection and then meanwhile all richard harrison has to do is beat up a couple of guys and cut a ring in half that is perfectly accurate and uh, that that isn't inspired work but but the more they do it man the more you see her banging those effing drums because they don't do it once they don't don't do it four times they maybe do it like in eight scenes it it, it sort of tickles me like okay i see your technique it barely works but uh, I, I it just sort of tickles me it makes me smile when i see them trying to craft their product which is sort of me taking my critics hat off uh, uh, or rather putting the critics hat the ifd critics hat on because it, it we're looking at these movies in a different uh, different manner and the thunderbolt movies I'm, i think is a, a bit of a safe haven at least for me if you want something different from ifd if you're used to ninja 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 as you watch like mission thunderbolt the majestic thunderbolt this and obviously getting to ninja thunderbolt to, to a degree they were the, the different sort of excursions because they hadn't made that excursion into ninja as of yet and it, it, it took up until like 88 or whatever when you had the likes of thunder of a gigantic serpent when they started to break out into different genres so i'm looking at it that way too that the, the thunderbolt movies they they provide a little bit of a, um, a, a different experience because you wouldn't want to watch like three or four of the ninja stuff in a row i think you'd just want to slice your wrist after a while because it's just feels redundant um, mm-hmm. so so it's a little bit of a change up but uh, the, uh, the the actual scene with the vampire witch which, uh, which is a chinese actress but uh, um, I don't have her name, but uh, that is IFD providing uh, providing 
final casting for that one. It's a lot of... <laughs> I mean, it's fun, but it's also tedious because there's a lot of, like, fake long nails and whirling your hand around a lit-up glass ball, you know, acting out like... Ooh, and-, and it's just in somebody's living room, so it's not like there's an opulent set. They uh, they use their uh, green and uh, green and uh, red uh, lamps for for effect, and that's that's pretty much it. I mean, it's it, it is what it is, but isn't that funny to a, a tiny degree at least? Like that it's so basic, or does it get tedious quite quick for you? Well, I, both. I think it is a little bit amusing, but it it wears the novelty wears off pretty quickly. I mean, and there's a couple of you know you get a couple of amusing. Uh, moments and bits of dialogue out of it because it's sort of clear that they're not really trying too hard and so you have characters who explain the switch as you know she's a witch they call her the queen of the scorpions she's a vampire witch that's that's like a word salad guys yeah it's a co- contradictor as well like is she a witch or is she a vampire what, what because there's never any sense of she's um that she is a vampire that she bites uh people or whatever she just plays her bongos mostly and there are no scorpions except the titles <laughs> called Scorpion Thunderbolt. I bet Godfrey and crew would would argue like, "Hey, there's a proper connection. It's called that. We said that, so that's it. Period." <laughs> uh, she also has the original uh, movie, it seems, or another Richard Harrison movie running in the background on like a sheet screen. You know, she has a projector, and she probably projects another Richard Harrison movie in the background because um, uh, rather than just a photo of Richard, they have uh, she actually has uh, some reels of uh, her what turns out to be her uh, deadly enemy. <laughs> so I thought that was thought that was amusing. It looked like action scenes from possibly a Majestic Thunderbolt or something like that. It's not. Um, from this movie. But it cuts to the Korean-Taiwanese movie, and uh, very interesting because there's, there's monster stuff here, you know. It seems like at one point before the first attack happens that a man either pulls the victim's, like, uh, hair or, like, punctures her hand, and then, boom, that snake monster, or the... At this point, it's only someone puppeteering an arm of the snake monster, like, striking her face and there's fake blood and all of that, so... Uh, I found that the sort of atmosphere decent and mysterious and uh, you wonder how these elements versus, you know, Richard Harrison elements are, are going to fit. I mean, you you have fair interest at the beginning anyway, but, but but the low budget does show in the original, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's it's a cheap costume. I think it's pretty well designed, but as long as they don't show it in full light, they get away with it. It's only in scenes like when the monster attacks people in a hotel, which is very brightly lit, that the flaws become apparent. And it's even clear that they try very hard to hide those flaws even then because they do a number of uh, tricks with the lens to kind of blur it out and use various and sundry filters. And that, you know, that helps. But they have to kind of be careful about how they show it. Otherwise, it looks kind of goofy. The positive to this is that they go for it, though they realize the budget and they're, they're, we're going to show as much as we can and put a lot of noises on the soundtrack, you know, monster noises and quick cuts and uh, all of that. And even though there's no huge makeup effects going on here, there's merely actresses and uh, the likes uh, have blood on their face. It's like they've been slashed with nails and stuff. But I, I admire the effort because... Um, they're intent on showing in showing this, and um, you know, for better or worse. So I I, I do admire that effort. Uh, um, just a minor uh, minor amusement. I think it was my biggest laugh in the movie was uh, during the police uh, briefing. Yes, I know what you're talking about. We'll see if we have the same notes. I'll I'll let you have the floor uh, and see if we have had the same laugh during the police briefing. No, well, the uh, they're trying to figure out. Um, what it is that has caused these 14 uh, deaths so far. 
and uh, a couple of the police officers have a theory. They <laughs> think it was a snake. And to show this, they take out this model that they have prepared of the snake. And it's this giant, giant snake head with a little bit of a tail that's made out of rubber. It cannot be human. So it's an animal. Yeah, it's a kind of a snake. According to my theory, it looks like this. And they had that under the desk under the whole time. Yes. It's such a big reveal. Look at this. Boom. <laughs> I thought that was wonderful because it's not like we built a little uh, little super tiny thing. This is what it looks like. We uh, No, we went to a little effects shop that we had uh, in the back. and uh, Yeah. <laughs> we didn't take impressions of the bite marks and create a Jaws or something of what it would look like. We made, the whole, we made a whole rubber snake, giant rubber snake. Well-timed. I thought that was amusing. I don't think they were going for a huge laugh, but it's uh, one of those... Uh, it's too big for the scene, and therefore the comedic effect is great, because it comes out of nowhere. Uh, the first Richard Harrison scenes uh, sort of opens with a pissed-off woman uh, trying to hitch a ride, and um, she uses uh, her feminine side to, uh, you know, manage to stop a car. She flashes... Uh, rather than give the second car, which is, which is Richard's car, the finger... She just uh, flashes uh, him her boobs, and he obviously goes, and then drives back. And that whole scene, which is very adult, obviously, that then leads into the cinema scene. I mean, is it ill-fitting slash hilarious that it goes for such an adult and also profane tone? Or what's your take on the cinema, the the hitching scene that leads into the cinema scene of the sex scene? He picks her up. She says that, She's an actress. He says, are you any good? And she takes him to what she calls her studio. But in fact, it is a it's a the- theatrical. It's a theater screening room. And and they, they screen Majestic Thunderbolt in that film. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I couldn't remember the film, but I knew it was one of it's the, the other. It's the beach um, fight scene with uh, Harrison and Philip Coe. Uh, they, you know, they shoot the, the chickens first and then they have a knife fight kind of thing. There. But what they what they show is... Um, uh, Philip Coe painting this woman in pre-finale. I think it's the same actress, to be honest. Also, oh, and that's the thing. I wasn't sure if it was the same actress. You can't tell, so you assume that it is. Um, but she's not doing anything except being strung up. And that's when Richard Harrison turns to her and says, "I'll give you this. You've got fucking talent." <laughs> and that comes out of nowhere, man. Like you almost—I'm not prude. I don't mind language, but it's almost like, dude, like, what if your mom watches this? Like, mind your language. Right, but, but obviously it le- leads to the soft, uh, softly lit and the, with the lens gelled up sort of sex scene. And man, is it sort of cringeworthy, especially their flirting as well. Man, it made me go, "Ooh." I've got to admit, you got fucking talent. Really? It's unpleasant. Richard Harrison looks more confused than aroused. Yeah, I mean, all throughout he has this sort of like stern look. Hmm, hard, Richard. He's not particularly bored, but he just, uh, at one point he walks up to her and uh, he looks at her as as she's died there right on the floor. He like, Ugh. and almost looks disgusted. And then she starts caressing his private parts and all of that. And, and his line after all of that, because it's a response to his question about if she's any good or not. And his line, you convinced me. <laughs> oh god yeah but i had fun i mean it's a uh, the thunderbolt movies were kind of porny too certainly inferno thunderbolt has um, a sex scene uh, majestic thunderbolt has some um, actually quite some rough stuff with philip Coe and her and, uh, and obviously this one ninja thunderbolt had it too but also in the source movie depending on the edit you watch uh, so i have to be one of afraid of um 
making it adult at this uh, at this time certainly and i also picked up that it, it isn't the terminator score but i sort of picked up around this time that something sounds like the terminator score a little bit uh, mm-hmm. but they, they were probably just a similar sting or something from the terminator score that i actually am not familiar with but i, I recognize the synth uh, synth there but uh, do you think uh, you know is it better that richard looks confused rather than bored in an ifd movie <laughs> what do you prefer uh, yeah sure i mean i think it makes it funnier back to the Taiwanese movies there, there there's some stuff uh, stuff there i mean the atmosphere isn't necessarily evoking or evo- evocative um, i mean they're trying to find out what sinister thing is behind these uh, slaughters and all of that uh, there at one point there's a hooded villain that uh, bad guy that turns up at the uh, richard at the apartment of richard coy so his uh, his partner or love interest and uh, it's 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 sort of a, we, we we got we got some cop tropes here you know cop movie tropes here because apparently that's something from a prior case of his so they show this uh, again like soft softly shot gelled up flashback to uh, a prior case where he shot this bad guy and if I'm not mistaken that storyline is merely contained in this scene because uh, that has nothing to do with the snake attacks really it's sort of just a way to get that into the scene but also to get um, to get, you know, rape into the movie. It's you. <laughs> You're surprised to see me on the loose, aren't you? Well, what do you remember from that? Because I don't remember that being a through line at all. Yeah, no, he comes back. He's the, he's the one who does some shooting later on. And they even spot him when there's a sort of incongruous disco scene. Ah, right, right, right. Now, now the memory's coming back to me. It's all, it's all to me like a snake movie. And after a while, it's hard to remember... Anything else because the snake attack scene gets increased and all of that. But, uh, you know, a wee bit more cinematic, uh, rough stuff there for the exploitation crowd. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, he's forced to watch that um, that rape and he cuts up the lingerie and the underwear and he drugs her. So there is some rough stuff there in the Taiwanese movie. It's not uh, light and fluffy and all of that. Um, I, I don't take that away from the movie. I take more away the low-budget efforts they want to convince us that this that this these killing scenes are you know some some violent crap here but uh, they, they do what they can i mean the the attack in the apartment while there's a party going on a loud music which for some ungodly reason reminded me of tenebrae just for the sake of it because there's a scene in tenebrae where they play loud music and there's a killing killing going on and uh, and all of that but uh you know, the shower attack is it in, uh, with the monster is it indicative of what the movie did in that first attack scene, and is it like indicative of all it can do? You know, or, or is it somewhat better that, that shower attack scene? No, I think I think really what it is is that they're they're letting it build, and um, probably it's best to show minimal uh, costume in the shower sequence because uh, you've got a brightly lit room, and the full monster or even more of the monster would look. Uh, kind of wonky and they're not they're not afraid to bring it out later on and it's it's it can look very good it's very alien inspired dark and gooey uh, with a big head it reminded me also of uh, the uh, once they start to put uh, the creature's sound on on the soundtrack it reminded me of uh, sort of what they did in thunder of uh, gigantic serpent that animal noise that like a shrill animal noise and uh also, Calamity of Snakes, the Taiwanese movie, like the big, big snake, uh, the the giant one, that uh, un- ungodly, like unreal giant one, also has these kind of shrill noises to it. So I, mm. I, I had I had a little 
throwback flashback and also I felt um, tickled by that that uh, through these intense cuts they also have intense sound design and they're, they're trying their damnedest to sell this as uh, as big and horrific as uh, possible yeah I don't know I think it I think it works pretty well most of the time as we said Richard Harrison is very sparsely used so um, we, we don't get any any connection other than the bongos essentially <laughs> do you think it's fair when looking at these movies to, to make like an, a determination of the original quality when it's not there in full or how do you view, the, view these things you know i i think it's pretty fair uh, and you can tell from what's there that you know you understand the story for the most part you can tell that the tone is very inconsistent you're able to tell the tone of these original films if there are some plot holes some like some gaps in the story that you feel like are, are missing that's when you think okay well maybe something was taken away you know, I wouldn't necessarily judge a film for that from the IFD recut. My, my experience is so far is that they, they, they rarely did change it up completely. Uh, mm-hmm. Those few times that I've been like Thunder of a Gigantic Serpent, King of Snake, the original. It merely cuts out like a, a character that's there for larger parts of the movie. The Danny Lee character, Danny Lee from John Woo's The Killer. He's actually in the movie a lot, but uh, he's barely in the IFD version. So it seems like remove him. And then get uh, you know uh, Pierre Kirby and the likes in there, um, and uh, and otherwise it's the same movie like almost verbatim. It's like they watched mm-hmm. the subtitles of the original ones and just wrote their English script script based on that. Which I guess is the suitable thing to do because it's all it seems like they do here is just like with the ninja stuff, just say ninja every now and again, and here it's just say vampire witch every now and again. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's uh, probably follows the um, original pretty clearly. So I I agree it. Um, you know, I wouldn't write a review on it if I can't watch, watch it in full, but I, I can certainly make a determination of the quality in, in the original, and uh, it's it's commendable in, in certain places, uh, uh, even though it's basic and low budget and all of that. Um, not the hidden gem, but um, certainly nice to see it available in some shape or form, which is sort of the positive to IFD and Filmark. At least we got to see some of these movies in some shape or form, whether Thai, Taiwanese and what have you, yeah, because um, they're, they're there at like 70 or 80% uh, complete. Uh, Richard's action persona in this one, he's obviously not going to be obscured by a ninja outfit and therefore be doubled extensively. And while there isn't a lot here, it's like the same amount in terms of length each and every fight scene as in the various ninja movies. But any thoughts on Richard action scenes that he performs largely by himself? You know, he, for a long time, did genre films in Italy and elsewhere. And so he did westerns, he did uh, Euro spy movies. And so he was no stranger to action scenes. His style is obviously very different from the kung fu ninja stuff that you see in the IFD ninja films when he's doubled. Uh, But he really holds his own in an action scene. You just see that what he's doing when he's fighting all of the bad guys is they're they're big punches and roundhouse punches and, and, you know, tough guy American style fight moves. When he has a sword for a little while, he's got kind of a short sword that he's given by a fortune teller that's part of the cure for killing the witch. Um, Those are a little bit, I don't know, uncertain. But no, I think he's very good at doing his own action. Mm -hmm. And also by, while it's not a layered performance, a character, but he has to look for that, therefore, 
adds some feist in him and some grit in him. And the fight choreography is, I agree, wisely structured around his skills. Even if they're short, they're based on sort of what he has in the environment. You know, if he has a knife in his hand, or rather uh, he is attacked by a knife, uh, someone by a knife, Jesus. That would would have been fun. <laughs> He's attacked by a knife that flies around like uh, some kind of uh, some kind of boomerang. But no, the attacker attacks him with a knife and he has a towel in his hand and he sort of uh, wraps that around him and then there's a, you know, a large, uh, large punch and the guy falls over in slow motion. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> but all of that is 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 wisely done, I think. Um, it and it's not distractingly done by switching, obviously, bet- between him and the Chinese double. So it would have been nice to have a little bit more of that. But uh, the, the glimpses make us, you know, see that he has some feist and also uh, size because uh, Richard was fairly sizable, you know, performer, once a bodybuilder, I believe. So um, you know, he kept in shape and looks like he's enjoying it for a few seconds. He, do- he-, he doesn't have that like Ninja Commandments look on him in this one. It's more like grr, in if anything, in this one. So it's a little bit, little bit different. The Taiwanese uh, Korean movie a Romantic Montage, I thought it was amusing because it cons- <laughs> the two lovebirds, uh, they uh, well, the lovebirds actually go bird hunting. They drink beer together. They they go uh, fishing together and it's 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 so amusingly sugar sweet and I'm trying to achieve this sugar sweet aura that uh, I, I I was tickled by that and at one point one of them falls into the water and all I kept thinking was uh, that vampire movie we, we watched uh, uh god uh, counter destroyer where one of the girls in that one I fell into the water <laughs> so or like you know some some throwback memories there got me through the scene because it, it's certainly not an affecting romance that's made uh, in, and uh, the stakes that that comes to the to the forefront at the end it's nothing affecting right no it's i agree with you completely they are, they also throw in the let's frolic on the beach I'm just trying to think of uh, some of the other not, and then there's the the disco sequence. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, but it's it's so it feels really incongruous when you've also got rape and a giant snake monster. What are you doing here? There's a monster out there. He wants to kill me. Go, get out of here. Go. No, it'll kill me. It'll kill me. You know, throw in everything so everybody everybody can have a good time for a few minutes here and there. I suppose so. you can certainly have a romance, but I think when you when you play the romantic comedy romance montage, I think maybe that's where you've gone a little bit too far off in a different direction. Well, well, all of this romance get, gets put um, put on uh, pause because uh, there's a big scene. Well, they attempt to make it big. It's not really big, but again, a low-budget movie, they do what they can. There's a big snake attack sequence where they're driving uh, their car and it seems like there's snakes planted in the car, you know, supernaturally planted by uh, planted by the bongo playing vampire witch. Any thoughts on the sequence? Oh, and do you think it's responsible to do this to actors? Because in, in Asian movies, man, at this time in particular, it didn't look responsible some of the things they were doing to actors and the, it seems like peril to me maybe because I'm, I'm i'm deadly afraid of snakes but um yeah so what do you think of the what of the scene and the responsible factor it depends on a lot of things but assuming that the snakes were not actually harmful or poisonous uh, it probably wasn't too dangerous for the actors a lot of the scenes where it looks like they're driving they're not um, or they probably were not uh, I think the real thing is that it's perhaps irresponsible to the snakes because uh, a lot of them are 
thrown around and probably killed and like taped to the outside of the car and and uh, all that sort of thing. And I'm not like a real PETA type person, but you know, I'm not super big on just hurting animals. Yeah. Well, well it's an it's an attention grabber. Uh, you know, for better or worse, mostly worse. I mean, uh, Italian movies certainly made a. Uh, made a habit of it for a few years. Um, it, it isn't. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie Calamity of Snakes. Uh, another Taiwanese no. movies. It's well, well, it contains a crap load of animal cruelty. So stay away from it because of that. But it, it is a snake terror movie. Like uh, they're, they're trying to build a hotel and there's a big pit of snakes. And instead of like trying to remove them quietly, they just sort of smash them to bits. And then the snakes come back and uh, you know exercise their revenge on humans, including a giant, you know. Uh, puppet snake that's a big 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 snake and all of that is quite horrible to watch but imagine what you see in this scene when they throw the snakes at the actors and what have you amplify that by 10 and not 10 scenes but amplify it by 10 and then add 10 scenes of it because Uh. it's a terror ride and a half they just throw these snakes at the actors and it doesn't seem like they harmed them at that point but the volume of them that they put Within the uh, within the uh, within the scene and with the actors, it's just it's marvelous. But the cruelty that's mostly in the first half is uh, quite distressing because uh, they they do it for real and in close up and stuff. And uh, so it's it's one of those like I, I don't make excuses excuses for that part of the movie, but I can recognize that the terror experience that it is when they're not doing animal cruelty uh, is quite something. So so as a sequence, is it just a little? The, it happened kind, kind of sequence or did you think it had some actual tension and peril and stuff i don't know uh it, it didn't really do much for me yeah yeah it seems a little stiff doesn't it you know as you said they're not driving uh at all really so they, they have to do it sort of still it seems like uh almost uh so, so it has no like frenzy that makes it sort of uh memorable i thought it was amusing though they, they drive off the side of the road you don't see it uh, on camera because they they turn left and they they put an explosion effect on that, so you think the car has exploded, but it has merely like turned over and crashed. Yes, so. yes, I thought that was clever and cute. Exactly that, because it's it's sort of like, hey, uh, so what you did there, but maybe you should have had a crash effect instead, instead of a. I like they they put a little bit too much dynamite in order to sell the effect. And so, what else is there to say? Well, uh, I might as well ask you. Um, the vampire witch lives in a red castle. It said. And she's fairly evil, it said, and I bet that castle will be magnificent once we see it. Do we ever get to see that castle, Ed? Uh, I think it's we see a house. That's that's what I saw. That had red on it. Sure, yeah, maybe. Godfrey doing his very best. Uh, <laughs> I think it's not wise to sort of plant that big idea and not have the means to show that idea, right? Because IFD didn't have, like, uh, miniature... Artists and math artists working for them, so they didn't do that stuff. <laughs> so I thought that was amusing. I'm waiting for the castle, and I got a wall, and it's sort of red. So it's at night, so we see it a little bit red. But uh... about two miles north of here lives a witch. I mean, a witch? Yes, she's known as Queen of the Scorpions. She is a vampire witch. She lives in a red castle and is thoroughly evil. I, I like the flashback in the in. Um in the uh, Korean and Taiwanese movie, where we get some uh, filler on what this sort of curse is about. Uh, And it's probably the best scene in the movie, because now it goes batshit crazy, where the human and the snake uh, in the flashback, you know, to a period of time, are making passionate 
love and there's a scene where the, the snake puppet is sort of draped over her you know it's not moving or anything but she's standing against a tree that character and then mm. the baby turns into a snake while it's breastfeeding <laughs> you know wow yep now it's adult and I, that was the best sort of frenzied energy I got out of the movie I think because um, partly because it was very unexpected that they were going to do a flashback thing and that it was that scenario you know what I mean well I knew where it was going uh, <laughs> I knew what was coming so uh, but yeah sure I mean that that seems like a fun way to uh, do the reveal that the child is not uh, a holy human child and uh Separately, I thought it was interesting that the uh, the snake, the prince of snakes, who makes love with the human woman, turns into a giant snake, but their child turns into a sort of half human, half snake, um, because the suit has arms and legs. So I don't think I have too much other than I, I might as well, if you want to say anything else about because in the second half there's a lot more quick but more full shots of the creature and um, the sort of sometimes limp creature but uh, I, I think mostly they have a guy of sorts in or a woman in the snake suit or, or is it all a puppet you think uh, based on what no you say I, th- I think a lot of it's a suit do they manage to pull it off um, at, at all well uh, during these final sections because it goes bigger we get to see more of it, it, it you know you know is that a good or bad thing that we get to see more uh more like um extensive shots of it or yeah i thought they did it fairly well uh it worked well when it was at night it worked well when it was backlit and uh, there's a an extended sequence where the female cop, Ms. Lee, is being attacked in a car by the monster. And I thought that whole sequence was really very good. Yeah, yeah, it's intense, if anything, even if we're not involved in the romantic drama. That's uh, because, you know, spoilers, that, that's, you know, the cop's romantic interest is of a snake. It was still fun, a decent intensity. And they they did tr- they do try a transformation sequence through dissolves and cuts and all of that. So uh... Give me your ring. Tell me what's so special about that ring. Nothing. Just hand it over. The one question I have about the film, and maybe this is answered in the full version, the original version of the film, but perhaps not. Uh, All of the transformations are triggered by one particular blind flute player. He's kind of a mysterious character, and there is no explanation to who he is or why he is around. He is able to walk around and entertain uh, the crowd whenever he pleases. It seems like even when the police are all armed and like shouting at the snake thing, he's walking around there and playing his flute and no one really minds him. It's, you know, until they realize, until someone realizes that uh, it's him. But uh, no, I don't know if there, there would be a more backstory to that or if the filmmakers would want a mysterious aura to hover around him. I think it's either or, uh, to be honest. Um, it, di- it didn't seem like they cut out a character in favor of Richard. To me, it didn't seem like that. If anything, I think maybe they cut out some more romantic interludes and uh, conversations and what have you. So um, that's my take on it. Oh, by the way, they do try a big transformation sequence when it, the, the snake sort of breaks out of... Um, a shell of some kind you know it comes at the camera I, I think they do it well because they try their damnedest it seems like it breaks out of uh, it's almost like it's breaking out of an egg or something so they have a thin layer of sort of thin layer akin to like a thin chocolate layer or whatever that's easy to break through it's, it's not paper but, um, and then it comes at us that way it, we, we don't see a lot of that but they by the end they do try okay 
movies mean sometimes you got to make it bigger and bigger as the movie goes along and the original makers do try that and there's some uh, full shots not just close-ups towards the end as well so a decent look at that suit even though it is um, you know it it won't rival any Japanese work or anything but um, at least they follow the formula for movies right that you increase the uh, you increase uh, you know the threat and the view of the threat and uh, then there's a big reveal towards the end so at least they they know that um so yeah and uh, the final richard harrison scenes uh, there's a decent little fight with uh, one of the witch slaves uh, who has a spear and uh, richard has a knife so i mean it's the, the action director is continually you know doing it in and focusing on richard's skills versus uh, chinese cast member skill and trying to make those things merge and it, it's all decent the, the early scenes are better there's nothing really exciting about all the tasks that richard has to do in order to um, defeat the witch and it's godfrey Ho trying to make this supernatural stuff on a budget and it doesn't come off as a very very exciting or anything uh, you know he no put, he, like he puts the dagger in the fire and she thrashes about the place and there's a fire in the foreground and you know they don't set the room on fire it's just a fire in the foreground and that's that's it and it concludes and uh it concludes on familiar music again <laughs> what do they steal what do they steal this time around uh, this time around, uh, they steal Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, which appears also a little bit earlier in the film. And if we're talking about stolen music, um, I also noticed a, a cue from what I believe is the black hole. And then also there's a little bit of um, hosts, the planets, uh, peppered throughout. I should also I also want to give special mention to whatever they used for the heroic Richard Harrison going off to do stuff music, which sounds like it's from a 16-bit video game. <laughs> <laughs> anything they found uh, in the mid 80s at someone's house is gonna end up in a movie alright that uh, holds the planets is um, it turns up in uh, Jackie Chan's movie The Young Master as uh, uh, one of the first fight scenes where, where the bad guy escapes uh, uh, from he's arrested he's tied to this board and chained uh, chained. and it, it's a fantastic fight scene in The Young Master and they, they use holds the planets I believe in that one, you know, which is a rousing thing. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, you have... can get a lot of good use out of that. Plus, you know, it was one of the inspirations for Star Wars. So, you know, you're in good company. Yeah, they used this temp music during ed- editing, I heard. Um, my, my co-host of that show that where we talked, the young master said, he, I, I thought he said that they used that as temp music during editing of Star Wars. And then, Probably. I mean, yeah. in the actual score that John Williams composed, it's a clear influence. Mm-hmm. There's, there's moments that are just straight out of... Um, the planets yeah well the movie is straight out of also you know uh, japanese cinema so uh, it, mm. it, it sort of makes sense obviously uh with with uh, hidden fortress being an inspiration i believe mm-hmm. um that's the end of my notes so before we do the availability anything else you want to say about scorpion thunderbolt do, do you want to return to it no no don't it's 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 hardly worth it unless you're uh, a hardcore ifd fan but if you could find a version that kind of like trims it down to the monster sequences then go for it it's sort of what we do here. We, we, we're watching it from an IFD fan perspective, but, but as a movie, if we were to grade these things, like most of them would be on the lower scale of things. But uh, but but it does tickle me. I I I think I can summarize it as that. Uh, just because sometimes I crave something different from IFD. Like can Richard look engaged ever so slightly in the movie for once? Well, we we found at least two or three, and this is one. Yeah, and if and if you've got a choice between this and Ninja Commandments, then choose this. Uh, I don't know about that though. <laughs> Double bail that shit. 
you know, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I, 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 in that case, I love seeing Richard totally, totally depressed. <laughs> why do you want the ring? What's so important about that ring? Tell me, why do you want it? Tell me, you bastard, I'll kill you! Anyway, as for availability, we watched the Japanese full-screen VHS. This was originally a uh, scope movie shot in 2.35. Uh, there are some uh, US DVD options out there that are also cropped in a similar manner. Uh, the Ground Zero version, which is probably a bootleg, paired this up on the same DVD with a movie called One Foot Crane. It, it was one of their Brooklyn Zoo double features uh, that scattered around the place. Uh, there's also the Notorious Video Asia label that they put it out as uh, on their DVD called Tales of Voodoo Volume 5, paired up with something called A Dog Called Vengeance. Uh, there was a full widescreen tape released in France, and a friend of mine have tried a few times to buy it, you know, buy a used copy to, to put an English dub on it, because it's sort of what he does for a living. But two free tapes that he tried to buy all suffered from the same tape flaws, making it partly unwatchable. So he didn't want to pursue it anymore, like for custom dubbing into English, because uh, it probably had tracking problems and things like that. It, it it probably would have been okay for the most part, but he thought like at least we want a clean source for this. Um, but uh, there is a French widescreen trailer out there, so you can see uh, you can see the framing um, how how it looked. But in terms of cropping, I, I didn't notice anything uh, as such. It lo- looked like a they didn't have people to the right and to the left talking to each other all the time and therefore us getting nothing in the crop version. Mm-hmm. It looked okay, actually. Sure. Uh, but that, uh, that's it. So let's uh, take a break. And uh, after that, we'll uh, return to discuss Clash of the Ninjas from Filmark. So we do an IFD and Filmark special here and we'll uh, check in uh, with each other to see if we found their cut and paste efforts uh, any good or not. So uh, sit tight and we'll be back. And welcome back, and this is the section where we talk Clash of the Ninjas from 1988 from Filmark. So we do uh, IFD and Filmark in this episode, and plot from my review of the film, a group of human guinea pigs, including actor Eddie Chan from the Source movie, escapes a lab uh, using them as that very thing, guinea pigs. Uh, they are, their organs are extracted from them, and uh, they're meant for the international organ market. Head of the operation on site, called Mr. Roy, played by Louis Roth, engages himself personally in the manhunt that leaves uh, two prisoners still on the run weeks after the breakout. Interpol agents, uh, led by Paula Tochas Tony, are investigating this organization, organization in Hong Kong, though, and as it turns out, he has a personal stake in it, too, as uh, uh, Roy, Mr. Mr. Roy, Lewis Roth's character, who's also a ninja, killed uh, Paula Tochas Tony's master. And Tony is also a ninja, because you're just, you're just a ninja in these movies, as Ed has talked about uh, many times. I would just like to add real quick that this movie was supposedly written by Kurt Spielberg. Does that sound suspicious to you or does that sound... Toad's a real name. Toad's okay, someone that's, who worked on the that's production. That's what I thought. <laughs> Wallace Chan directed it, so it was a little bit more uh, uh, believable. They, they added like a Chan at least, but uh, yep, Kurt Spielberg, of course. Yeah, so Filmark obviously made up uh, made up names for their, uh, for their credits to sell internationally. I wonder if they just 
you know, said after a while, like, like, fuck it, let's just have fun and put some random names on there, see if anyone has a chuckle about that. Or if they were like, they were like, mm-hmm. like have late night brainstorming sessions. How do we make this work for the market? Add a Spielberg, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. If, if if that was the fourth, then that would have opened up the floodgates, of course. Like, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Rudolf Scorsese or something like that. <laughs> you know, I, it's it's not it's not so strange, although the Spielberg one is a little bit over the top. But uh, it was not uncommon in some of these uh, overseas films that wanted to hit the the world market to sound a little bit more American. They would put sort of not just not just you know names that sounded you know Anglo, but uh, a lot of the Euro spy movies would try to fit in a Fleming somewhere in the credits. <laughs> so you know these things these things happened. Subtle. Uh, so yeah, as I alluded to in the intro, it is a ninja production using an older movie and shooting new action footage with westerners to, to create a new one is admirable, according to me. I mean, yeah, definitely. Although understanding and liking the concept of what Filmark wanted to do with their product could be a requisite for this one too, as with Scorpion Thunderbolt, you have to sort of like them the company i suppose initially clash of the ninja seems to be dealing in the usual ratio of mostly older movie in this case reportedly the 1982 hong kong production ran for life and then that features some inserted footage with uh, paulo tocha and crew running alongside the other movie it seems to be like that for a while but when that film arc lead paulo tocha or paul Torwa in this one. Yeah, Torka. Torka. <laughs> Not even Bruce Stallion, like he was credited, credited as as well. Uh, when he starts to appear with Chinese cast members we've seen acting on their own in prior scenes. That's the first indication that Thomas Tang and crew have put in more effort than usual to make this a seamless whole. And we'll talk about it all right now, so I'll throw it over to Ed. In short, what do you want to say about the Clash of the Ninjas? The American buyers ordered 14 pairs of cornea and 5 kidneys. And they want the merchandise to be delivered as soon as possible. You know, it started off uh, a little bit uninteresting, and I, I thought it picked up steam by by the end. Uh, but also, I think that it's a really nice merging of the two films, as I'm sure that you'll go into more detail on shortly. You ask yourself, uh, so you think you figured out the IFD and Filmark formula and know exactly the level of work they're going to put in each and every movie. Well, Clash of the Ninja is the movie that makes you think again. And then sort of applaud the cut and paste effort. Uh, and I think it's actually very, very fun looking at their sort of effort here. I mean, it's a basic B-movie with a rather, we- rather weak-looking original that they work from sporadically. Because what we forgot to say, in the end, it's actually Filmark shoots most of this themselves. As it turns out, we've... For when we're looking at all Chinese people, we assume it's from the source movie. But then, like, hey, they're with Toho <laughs> right now. They couldn't have a green screen them together. Like, they don't do that stuff. We'll we'll we'll, we'll talk of uh, what we think of that illusion uh, throughout the review. Um, obviously, um, we get the uh, filmbox efforts first because um, we we have the, these laboratory scenes and autopsy scenes where they uh, where they perform experiments on these uh, on on these guinea pigs, and we only get some might like cut to some onlookers from the original because we see actor Eddie Chan here, and uh, the plotting is an unusual tint for filmmark with this being like. Uh, soldiers experimented on type of movie something feels different it's not stock plotting for them uh, is it an exciting plot well what are your thoughts on that that body organ angle uh, that, that we we get no context obviously at the beginning but considering that filmmark usually relied on stock plotting was this notable at all 
Sure. It was a little bit different. I think it was maybe kind of an interesting angle. I'm not sure that it's necessarily an exciting one, but I would certainly take it over. We're dealing drugs. When is that bastard who's a drug agent going to try to get us next? Kind of nonsense. And the formula to rule the world. And, and right, uh, that's all true, of yes. That. Um, so yeah, there, there, there is some mild effects work here. They cut the organs and things like that and put uh, you know them in... Uh, in formaldehyde or whatever they use and so they have to do something but that is supreme production and effects design compared to <laughs> the ninja lair that we cut to if um it looks as bare and low budget as you know the room from scorpion thunderbolt uh, the ninja hq with their upside down mitsubishi logo it looks like and uh, yes had any fun with that to see a sort of inept uh, inept <laughs> inept uh, production design going on here or what do you think? Oh, I really liked it. I thought that they were clearly trying to do the we have a big boardroom with our with our ninja logo on it, but they didn't have enough space or enough money. And the main bad guy who is called Mr. Roy, but I will call him Hans Gruber because that is exactly who he looks like. He looks like the villain from Die Hard. Yeah, Alan Rickman impersonator, but he, he looked that way in movies too. And I mean, if you also pick out that Lewis looks a bit more, even if tiny, a bit more comfortable acting than the random people around, um, around the table, no wonder, but he, because he, he was acting in movies, you know, he was a Hong Kong mainstay in, uh, in a variety of movies. You can see him in A Better Tomorrow too, as the Italian mob guy that all of a sudden has a temper tantrum and uh, throws uh, fried rice across the restaurant and has a confrontation with uh, giant fatty he says like this fucking fried rice stinks and he plays a typical like we're gonna give you protection you you listen to us now that's uh that's lewis for you that's awesome and on on his desk in front of him is an intercom which is actually just a little portable cassette tape player with their upside down mitsubishi logo taped on top of it Hey, you work with what you have, I suppose. Uh, oh, yes. You remember what Rodriguez said about uh, I have a bus, I have a guitar, and I have a turtle. So let's put that in my movie. They had a tape recorder. Well, they couldn't have read El Mariachi, <laughs> the book about El Mariachi at this time. Maybe Rodriguez saw Clash of the Ninjas. Let's let's make that uh, the, the narrative. I, I mean, I'm going to play this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I, I love that little tiny chatter, the low-volume chatter between the random people around, around yes. the table. We're all going to be rich. More money. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was like, oh, I was dying. <laughs> because it's uh, more money. <laughs> yeah, like Beavis and Butter was sitting there or something. <laughs> money. <laughs> cool. And we're all going to become rich. Indeed. More money. It's always entertaining when you have people who have to do incidental dialogue that don't know how to do it. Exactly. Because it's not sing sound either, obviously, a listener. So this is all from from the dubbing studio so yeah we cut to run for life it it seems like that anyway we see some different quality in the sort of color timing so the footage is not tricky to identify yet um you know and i think the basic source movie i haven't seen it um it's um i don't think these characters are escaping from what the film plot is but they're they're, they're probably chinese immigrants fleeing from oppression uh, they're then ending up in hong kong and trying to make a living um, and it's a criminal living pro- possibly looming and uh, they've probably been smuggled in by you know the big boss that kwan hoi san plays uh, because eddie chan has a confrontation with him at the end but uh, i i think that's it because um it's a, a fairly standard plot thread for uh, for Hong Kong movies. Um, Filmok does cut to their own sort of well 
color time footage, I think, of prisoners fleeing, but are now there is no police trying to catch up to them, but, but a ninja, a ninja too. So how did you think that worked? I mean, obviously we know that, okay, if there's a ninja there, that's film marks. But how did you think those things uh, cut together, like people fleeing in one scene and then film marks cost, and crew, uh, cost fleeing from a ninja? Don't do it! It's only me! Please, don't kill me! It worked pretty well. They tried to match it by doing the same kind of techniques, uh, underexposing and um, and using um, indoor film uh, outdoors to get that blue cast. But I think the biggest problem with it is that the escapees are not wearing the same kind of uniform that the escapees in the original film are using. If they had fixed that, I think I almost wouldn't have even noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the early stuff is, it gets better because you sort of get surprised, uh, as we'll explain shortly, about what is original and what is film art. I mean, they, they did occasionally manage to match uh, suits and, and costumes. Uh, Shadow Killer's Tiger Force, you remember we talked of that the prison suits from the original, much older movie, was matched well in the film arc, uh, film arc uh, cutaways, if you have. If you exactly. Will. You know, those uh, action beats that we have there uh, with the ninja and the prisoners fleeing, they're, they're all decent, you know, takedowns delivered with decent power and obviously loud slash sounds of a soundtrack. That's all fine. That's all fine. And uh, the night escape does run way too long, though. It gets super boring after a while. It's 10 minutes of this stuff or something. Uh, that should have been two scenes essentially but it goes on and on and on and shot in the dark as well obviously so and the print is not the best either so it's not easy to see everything but i i I did say to myself i think i just saw a decently convincing effort in merging movies here so uh, you know color me interested Uh, let me ask you as, as someone who has english as his first language you know they they talk about what they smuggle and uh what they take out of these guinea pigs and they say cornias a couple of times. Isn't it called corneas? If even one of them remains alive, the whole affair will be exposed. Then you and I will be up shit creaking corneas. I assume if, if, if that's what they're trying to, to take out, I was never super clear on that, but uh, yeah, cornea would be the way to pronounce it. It's almost like corneas or corneas. <laughs> it's a, I, because they say it a couple of times. So, hey, I think I've heard it differently, but hey, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor or a doctor in English, English language, so... Uh, you know, it's obviously not uh, either, you know, outstanding or riveting stories in uh, either film or the source movie uh, footage. Um, but uh, as I said, at least there's no secret formula crap here. And there's eventually no feeling of, uh, like, here's where we insert ourselves like every other time we did it. They're going to provide some some more effort. Uh, but the problem is, though, Ed, I don't know if you noticed this, but the more film involves themselves more it becomes a little bit too busy on characters because there seems to they just start to pile on different characters and different scenarios and uh, it doesn't become incoherent but it seems like they were a bit too ambitious for their own good they sh- should have stripped it down in my opinion a little bit uh, character wise in volume uh, was that a problem at all for you or would that just pass you by without without notice yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit. And I think I'm still un- unclear about how some of the connections were made and, and what material is original and what isn't. And is that wonderful? If you're unclear of yeah. like, who who is doing but original? No, that's Paula Tocha. So it's not original. <laughs> there were certainly parts where I thought, okay, maybe they've got the original actor back or someone who looked staggeringly like them to do some of these uh, film arc sequences. I don't really know for sure. I So my my impression was that there were 
a fair number of characters in the original film. And then once you add the film arc characters, it becomes a, a little bit much. But it's possible that film arc was the one tipping that scale. I think it was. I, I've seen it twice now, so I think I can form a little bit more of an... Um clear picture to me anyway by the way the very martial arts table uh, partner of paulo tocha the, the black actor which i think is the the guy in the opening scenes of silver dragon ninja the paulo tocha and him have, have a very riveting uh, conversation up there uh, um, almost whisper they, they whisper to each other yeah the white and the black ninja there so uh, well we gotta stop them now <laughs> what was that uh, i think it's the same guy he looks great though that He's guy amazing. is martial arts able like you read about, but they don't use him throughout the movie, unfortunately. There, there was no such thing in Silver Dragon Ninja, but here the action directing is in the film arc stuff is uh, is off note, I think. We, we'll get to the thing here of uh, what's film arc doing right now, because it doesn't look like the crew is on tired repeat as such, but definitely not when you start to watch uh, scenes with the Chinese cast members, um, the cops. Uh, including the guy with the moustache interacting with all kinds of people la 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 we're talking and then they start to talk to Paolo Tocha granted we see them from the back first so we think ah doubling but no those guys who are alone in their scenes away from the away from Eddie Chan in the source movie granted but the guys who are alone in their scenes merely Chinese cast members they now turn up with Paolo Tocha and his partners and a uh, partner and I was confused that first and then i realized that i I think they're putting in more effort and they're taking up the bulk of the movie i think anyway i think i'm confused oh my god are they pulling pulling off something here that's of higher standard than we used i mean it really surprised me the the amount of level uh, the level of new footage but how it is combined with the old and the sort of the techniques uh, that they use. Uh, was that surprising to you that, uh, you know, when all of a sudden done, after you finished it, that they did more stuff than I'm used to? Boss, don't worry. I've already... <clears throat> the plan will not be filed. You'd better bloody well hope so. Yes, Master Roy. Cer- certainly I was impressed because there were times when I was confused and I'm still not 100% on what was original and what was uh, new. Uh, yeah, I mean, that impressed me. Maybe not the quantity yet because I, I, hadn't, I have not yet parsed it all out. I think you're ahead of me on that. Well, well what I think is happened, at least for one scene, they got the guy with the moustache, I think uh, Tommy, possibly, I don't know, and Quan Hoi San, actor Quan Hoi San, who's, who's the big boss in Hong Kong, orchestrating all these um, in, in boardrooms and what have you, these uh, organ trading dealings. They got them together in a scene. And I think what, what happened there is they cast the guy with the moustache for the film arc scenes, but got Quan Hoi San in for one scene. Because he was a working actor and he never really changed his look as such, you know, from 1982 to and fast forward five years when this was shot, five or six years. And I think that's what they managed to do, man. They managed to get someone from the original and nicely connect it in one scene to adhere to that illusion that this is one. They have done so before, but it was a little bit more cheesy. There's a movie called Tough Ninja Shadow Warrior, I think. Um, also film arc. Uh, Philip Cofey is in the film arc footage, has a moustache, but he's also in the original Hong Kong movie where he also has a moustache, but the moustache job in the film arc stuff is not very convincing. So, but, but they did it. They caught someone from the old and then had some co- connective tissue there. And I thought that was 
pretty well done here. Uh, again, the footage looks similar, and I think that was the connecting tissue, getting Quan Hoi-san in for one scene in the middle of the movie or in the first third, and I think that was pretty much it. But it changed just the whole perspective of me of the movie. Like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Oh, I think. Or not. Like, I, I was confused too, but uh, but but actually quite impressed that they went to this uh, length of um, uh, of uh, casting him. So uh, uh, we got some uh, lover lovers time in this one as well, just like Scorpion uh, Thunderbolt. Uh, Tony reunites with a lover in Hong Kong. Um, does the sparks fly in this uh, sex scene? And uh, considering she's got vinyls attached to her walls in her house as well, is this uh, is this romantic drama elevated to elite level? Uh, no. Uh, you know, I mean, it's funny because they reunite and then, of course, the obligatory sex scene. The dubbers seem to feel like what's actually happening is real, actual sex. And what we are seeing on screen is uh, are, are two mostly clothed individuals. They climax with their pants on. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Yes. <laughs> Which is a, a funny, a funny little, uh, funny little thing. Do you remember at all, uh, if you have any notes on it, uh, the uh, assassin scene with the priest, which is also a film yes. of inclusion? Want to talk about that? You did, did you figure out, like, okay, that is definitely film arc? Or were you confused about that, too? Well, I mean, no, it's, uh, that's, that feels very film arc. It's, uh, yeah, you've got this, the priest who has this, uh, well, he's, he's supposedly a priest. He wears sort of civilian clothing. And he has this amazing chain weapon. And then transforms into a ninja with sighs that shoot flames out of them. They like the, those flame-throwing sighs, man. Uh, film marker. They, they ran with that for a couple of movies, man. I'd forgotten that they'd used those before. It's actually a very colorful character to have here. The, the guy is actually quite good. He's uh, not as random as these uh, things often um, felt like. Yeah, I love the look of the guy. It's uh, sort, of, sort of half-menacing for, the, for these kind of movies, anyway. Uh, like, like, he's... he's just got the right square look for the role. And then, boom, whips out that uh, chain. Subsequently, a ninja and all of that. Uh, clearly, you can see actor Kong Do doubling for him. You know, he definitely changes to a, a Chinese uh, Chinese stuntman. But uh, that was par for the course. They, they, they didn't seem like they really had any time to care about matching, uh, you know, cutting from white man to Chinese man. But um, Hey, be careful. You've only just passed. Relax, everything's just cool. It adds um, some amusement, and I, I think so, some of your favorite uh, film arc uh, tropes that at least make you chuckle or feel that it tickles you is available here. You're ninjas um, sneaking around in daylight. Oh yes, oh yes, yeah. That's that's one of my favorite ways that film arc manages to uh, keep the illusion going is by having just regular scenes from the original film and then inserting shots of ninjas popping up from somewhere and watching the action and then popping back down. And this is particularly funny uh, when a couple of characters meet in an office and we see a ninja popping up from behind a photocopier. Yes. (laughs) Where there's clearly like no room for him to pop up and not be seen and then pop back down. (laughs) <laughs> wasn't he like between chairs and crap as well so he's like I remember some image of him behind a chair or something or in the boardroom like hiding underneath the table yeah I believe it yeah uh, so it, it's it's not like they um, can camouflage themselves in the background either because they all run around in effing daylight <laughs> you know black black ninja suit in daylight like it's not uh, 
he's gonna be noticed. You know, if this was made in the modern era, obviously he would be caught on social media right away. Like the bad guys would have no chance. They would have been unveiled uh, pretty quickly. But uh, I, I, that, that is all fun, even if it's tropes for ninja. But uh, of course, this is not all exceptional. But you know, it, it's Filmox standards. But since they're trying a bit, they're making their own movie partly here, and that's all fun cheese, man. And uh, they even have their own little car chase at one point. Not great car stunts, but they do their own car chase. Some of yeah, the I stuff is Filmog. You remember we talk about Filmog pulling out all the stops for action finales. Mm-hmm. But they, they they start to spread them out and uh, choreograph some of their own car stunts as well. And there's a lot of... I mean, they produced a movie or two. I mean, um, that, like out, that wasn't cut and paste with just Chinese cast members, you know, a proper movie. So they had that skill. And I think Clash of the Ninjas is like a wonderful example of... Yeah, they were filmmakers. They were basic filmmakers. They weren't this inept unit that you laughed at all the time. And uh, Clash of the Ninjas, for whatever reason, the decision was, well, we got to do more. And better. Wh- whoever made that decision, Thomas Tang or not, uh... Hey, Jack. What you talking about? What really happened? Ninja. Ninja? Hmm. The killer was a ninja. Be strong. And rest. The blood you shed will not be wasted. That, that is wonderful to me. It kind of stands out. I mean, I, with, you, with this being your first viewing of it, I, I don't know if it has sort of made an impression on you that this is more than they used to do and it's more admirable than than usual but it's something it has to me and i i also think i also think it's fun at the same time it's not they did more but it's super boring nope i think it's it's fairly snappy mm-hmm. absolutely yes i have some more notes but uh let, let's uh throw it over to you any, any other random highlights uh, of the filmmaking or particular particular scenes any action scenes i mean i the scene where they shoot Lewis Roth's uh, ninja or try to shoot him <laughs> do, do you remember that or where they empty like 50 clips oh yes oh my gosh yeah that's apparently a thing in film with film mark ninjas you can in IFD you can shoot a ninja and they die it happens uh, fairly regularly but apparently in film mark land if you shoot 800 bullets into a ninja they can still drop a smoke bomb and disappear and be totally okay the fact that they just stand there for eons and do that, and uh, for, for some reason not shooting the, each other. It seems like they're almost in the line of each other's fires. Yes. It is amazing. It's absolutely worth seeing for that sequence. Yeah, because they're, they're on in an elevated spot in the woods, and he's like, uh, well, well, he's not elevated, obviously. He's down there. And uh, yeah, it's all good fun with uh, Louis, Roth, uh, Louis Roth escaping that and then sneaking around. But the, the original, any particular thoughts on that? Do you think uh, that has any sort of greater power based on the little that we see here or what do you take away from the original footage i want those two guys you hit them uh no 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 i don't know i don't know that it's necessarily any great shakes and because there's still some question about in my mind about what's original and what and what isn't uh, although I'm, I'm sure maybe a couple of additional viewings would sort that out for me um it's really kind of hard for me to separate them so I'm going to have to look at this one, um, unlike the previous one we talked about, uh, kind of as one product. And, and that's what they wanted. Yeah, I think, I think it works. Well, well, what happens, because I recognize Eddie Chan, uh, or the main actor from the group that flees, he, he isn't in it at all that much, you know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever. And his story and his, the story of his pal, you know, they, they meet up this guy and uh, gets to live in his house, you know, for as long as you like. And you, what's Hong Kong TV like? Oh, it's great. I watch a lot of it. Uh, that's you got two sort of, channels. 
that's the original, but it is pushed to the side and most color is represented by Filmog. And, and w- what I can see here is that the original footage isn't at all very gritty or powerful, at least not in, in the state that it is, uh, is here. Uh, they try. They're followed by an, an attacked by an assassin at one point. So there's a rooftop scene where the guy gets thrown off uh, the roof, which leads to a very funny stuff. Some very funny stuff from Filmock. Actually, Here, here's where you know you might have thought that the that it's it's the original, but all that stuff where he falls off the roof, like none of that is very gritty. An early '80s Hong Kong cinema could be very gritty in a compelling manner, but it doesn't really have the chops to pull off something like that. So it's, it's rather weak. Uh, the the stretches of uh, of uh, source movie, but when the guy falls off the roof and there's a cop that witnesses this and then calls his superior if you remember that that mm-hmm. that's yes. film that's filmock because the, mm-hmm. the the superior the guy with uh, the red shirt and the suit and all of that he's in the paulo tocha scenes and all of that so that is filmock so he's just walking down the street or following and uh, then that guy falls uh, in front of him and uh, <laughs> the, the 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 phone call that he has with his superior is absolutely hilarious and I might as well shut up there because you might have made the same note about uh, him calling his superior about what happened. Uh, do you remember any, yeah, any do, of that? Can we can we put that in? Oh, that's going in because that is hilarity 101 and and I don't think they meant meant it to be <laughs> but uh, we won't quote it verbatim there but uh, I want to just uh, talk of some beats in that scene when he calls into the, to the station to uh, brief uh, his superior about what happened. Oh, my, my favorite part was that after he uh, gives the sort of initial uh, kind of incoherent version of what happened. The uh, the chief is like, "What what are you talking about? Give me like make more sense." And then he makes a lot of sense. <laughs> he made us. He made sense from the beginning. Yeah, but I'm like, but I'm like, okay, here here is from beginning to end a very clear description of what happened. And the police chief is like, "I don't understand a word you're saying. You're not making any sense." <laughs> okay, wait. He could not have made more sense. He said, what happened, where it happened, when it happened, how it happened. Get a police car out there. What's wrong with you? Do your job. Tell me exactly and calm down. I'm reporting from 305 Canton Road in Yamate. A murder has just occurred, and the body fell from the eighth floor. It landed just a bit in front of us. The two suspects have disappeared, and I request assistance. That's everything. Please give me further instructions. What can you tell me? Catch your incoherent. Just stay where you are. Dude, listen. Calm, not freaked out, foot soldier, so to say. That was. I thought that was beautiful because uh, it's almost like they 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 really two persons are sort of compiling the scene and they're not working off the same beats and that's what we get. I don't think they performed it that way, uh, the Chinese cast members. But but that is uh, that is film of yeah, connecting themselves quite quite well. There's um. E, a, an attack on Tony's uh, lover, you know, Lewis Roth enters her apartment and it's lit, the apartment, but then he switches off the light. And it's so dark that, I don't think I'm explaining this very well, it isn't pitch black, because there's a big red light in the corner of the room that illuminates the entire room, essentially. Despite having a scene where it all goes pitch dark, pitch black, and then you cut to her sort of miming throwing vinyls in the dark like it's don't breathe or anything that movie that just came out and it's like oh it's so dark i'm throwing random stuff at you the attacker that i can't see but the entire room is like knitting red man and it's <laughs> come on film like try to make it a little bit more convincing it's all fun i suppose the finest example and i'll, I'll, I'll i think i'll end my notes after this of film confusing the crap out of you 
but also doing the admirable uh, effort here. There's a scene where Eddie Chan's friend is he's in this room and someone shoots him from the outside, you know, obviously shattering the the windows uh, while he's being shot up, you know, eight to ten times. And he sees his friend dies. The guy said that are shooting, they're film marks guys. Uh-huh. Because Paolo Toho interacts with them shortly thereafter. Yeah, that's right. I have to say, and I might be you know, crucified for this, I think that's exceptionally well made. No, I, th- I agree. They time it well. Like they, they, Their scene isn't more colorful. The color timing, they, because it's sort of blue, bluish, these uh, scenes from the original. And they match that superbly well, because I have to watch it once. Wait a minute. That guy who looked a little bit like that and had that shirt on, he interacts with Toha right now. They can't double them that well. So th- that's the crew. Granted, it doesn't sound difficult to exchange shooters. But there's a level here, Ed, that I'm not used to from Filmok. I also quite liked the uh, a bit at the end where Hans Gruber, as the big boss, decides that uh, he needs to tie up some loose ends and kill his sub-boss, uh, who was you know, the main bad guy from the original film. Um, so he's going to go and assassinate him uh, when he's out jogging. And he goes and takes up his position to shoot him. And it's interrupted by somebody else coming out and shooting him and basically doing his work for him. I.e. the original. So basically all of the original movie happens, but it still feels like the film work footage is, is interacting acceptably well. It does, even though it's still amusing that he, he merely just sneaks, he follows it. He, yeah, he, he yeah, doesn't yeah. sneak around, so it's sort of what they've been doing before. But it was one of those scenes that I didn't remember from first viewing. Is this the scene where they got Kwan Hoi San in? But, but no, because Eddie Chan is there, and um, he, I think he would have looked a bit different. So it, it is from the original, and obviously Louis Roth's character just sort of like, well, my job is done, I can walk away. <laughs> Uh, so 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 it's amusing that way, but it is it is well put together. Again, the the color timing doesn't throw you off, and the film stock isn't terribly different or anything. Yeah. Like even even when film stock was different, in the case of Shadow Killers Tiger Force, it, um, it still was convincing enough because they put in the effort, even though Filmark's footage was way more colorful than the late seventies uh, Women in Prison movie that they. Um, that they used in that one. The film arc finale and fight with Paolo Tocco and Louis Roth and doubles. Any particular highlights and thoughts on that? Is it akin to IFD where it's super short and calculated or do they do more? Don't move. I'm Interpol. You're Interpol? It's, it's quite a lot bigger and it's, it's really more akin to IFD at their best when they you know pull out all the props and kind of do a lot of goofy stuff. Uh, yeah, well, he uses a fan at one point, and uh, conceptually, lengthwise, I, I always loved when um, when they went for a film arc, even though they didn't really have the tools to sometimes get it done. I mean, there, there, there is a scene, I think, in Shadow Killer's Tiger Force where Wayne Archer is, they, they launch a missile at him, of course, mm-hmm. um, and that, that missile sort of follows him, uh, <laughs> you know, because it is one of those missiles, and you, you can see the string, and it, it sort of follows him around corners, it feels like, almost. It, it's that kind of missile runs into a house and boom the house blows up it's like scorpion thunderbolt in a way like we, we don't have a lot of means to do it but we're gonna do it that's never not admirable at least to set up the dummy that they blow up at the end it's not uh, just chinese doubles and western guys uh, they went out of the way to be to do to be less calculated and more creative from movie to movie this isn't like their stock action finale like they, it's uh, they, they sometimes just did different things. There's stuff in Death Code Ninja, the Mike Abbott movie at Filmark, his soul Filmark movie. That's there's a lot of stuff in there too. So we got a proper like almost five ten minute finale. Where, as with IFD, two minute finale sometimes, if that. 
Yeah, it's that's when they're not trying. Otherwise, I mean, this is this is more like when IFD is doing uh, Ninja the Protector, where there's motorcycles and and uh, and a playground. <laughs> yeah, and, and commas on chains and uh, yeah, playground and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's very enjoyable overall. It's very enjoyable. I think it's uh, it's entertaining again because of the effort. But I think there's a lot of cool and fun scenes from Filmark. Um, is it better than when they did Robo Vampire and like filled their movie with their own footage? Uh, well, probably not because Robo Vampire and the likes are in a league of their own in terms of uh, cheese and goofiness. And uh, by now they've exchanged the ninja concept to vampire and robot concept, and that's. I don't know, sort of Trump's ninjas, actually. Mm-hmm. Especially when you when you've seen so much stuff and that then Robo Vampire comes uh, comes uh, comes out and you you tilt your head a little bit. Ah, look at that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And they keep doing it. Not five minutes of Robo Vampire, but eighty. So, <laughs> uh, but all all good fun. I, I have a suspicion that this won't be a tough rewatch uh, if you do venture into it again. No, indeed. I, th- I think I'll. I think that would be an enjoyable one. I don't think we're going to find much in the catalog that provided this much effort and mixed and matched Chinese and Western cast and got in different cast. Uh, I think that this is a little bit of a unique, uh, uh, not experimentation, but a u- unique effort, and uh, I think it paid off because both of us we didn't follow each and every beat. We got confused. We thought that this might have been closer to one movie than two at points. Mm-hmm. And my God, if that isn't uh, Thomas Tang and crew doing their job, then I don't know what is. So that's the end of my notes, buddy. Anything else you want to say about this one? Sure, real quick. Uh, music. Um, I did catch cues from Rambo and from Road Warrior. There are probably others, but I did not. I was not able to identify them. Good usage of the cues, or really like uh, ham-fisted in terms of how they pasted in. I mean, no. I mean, it's just like those. Those are two scores that were constantly used in in foreign films that didn't really care particularly much about copyright. So if you're if you're doing an action movie, then yeah, throw in Road Warrior and Rambo. You wonder sometimes how Hong Kong movies and Kung Fu movies. I wonder sometimes why some of them can still get releases. You know. Um... And, and, unless there is actually a behind-the-scenes work going on to clear music, finally. No, there's not. It's there's just not. that no one cares. Because there, there, there is... Um, we talked about this um, the other day on the group. Uh, they announced a Drunken Master for a Blu-ray release in um, in the UK. And I said, well, too bad they didn't uh, do Snake and Eagle Shadow, the Jackie Chan movie, because I think that's a better movie. Because, but as someone said to me, that music is still too high-profile because they use... Um, Sean Michelle Jarris, uh, Oxygen 2. They use that in many movies, but that, that's a centerpiece of the movie. They use uh, the track Magic Fly by Space uh, for the intro and throughout the movie. There have been uh, audio tracks even going back 20, 30 years that replaced that already upon release. You know, when it came to the US, someone did see a problem with that. So maybe that's still a problem to get some some audio tracks for even Kung Fu movies. Um, uh, the, the key phrase that you said there is high profile, and I think when it is, then that's when it becomes difficult. When the when the film is high, is high enough profile and the music is high enough profile, uh, then you know you run that risk of getting caught, and it's probably more worth your while to, or more worth a company's while to try to clear it. Um, but I think with a lot of these films, no one's going to see it, and you know I think more more likely than not, they don't even necessarily know that there are stolen cues in there. They might not recognize Road Warrior. I mean, you know, if you're not a genre buff. Yeah, and, and even, you know, Shaw Brothers they released, re released their catalog in Hong Kong over the course of the new millennium. And 
there's a ton, tons of stuff there. Some of it does make it to the West, but still, it might be too low pro- profile, despite that being the biggest studio ever in Hong Kong. So it might mm-hmm. just be that they, no one really notices that there's you know Morricone music and the likes, and and from v- a variety of westerns um, used in these kung fu movies, classics even. Um, um, but speaking of Duncan Master, I think that's fairly clear of cues. I don't remember much. Like, ah, number five on the list of uh, of needle drops uh, in the first <laughs> half hour. I, 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 like, I don't think that was the problem with uh, Drunken Master. What the hell's a ninja? Ninjas are a branch of the Japanese samurai, a very old organization. Its origins are hundreds of years old. Much of its history has been lost. Not many ninjas exist today, yet they all have indomitable fighting skills and superb ninjutsu. No matter what weapons you use, a ninja will never die. And as for availability of Clash of the Ninjas, you can get a US DVD from Desert Island Classics <laughs> that had some very poor reviews on Amazon, including notes on a blue screen saying play before the movie. So it's um, it's a quality control like that, obviously a VHS version on disc. We watched the uh, widescreen uh, version from Japanese VHS. This was um, not a big scope movie. It's um, shot in 1.85. So we, we we got the original uh, original framing here. Uh, there's also a French DVD box set that includes this movie in English. It's from a French cinema print out there too. It's billed as a Godfrey Ho box set, but what it contains is this: Ninja in Action, which is Filmock Stuart Smith, and Ninja Eight American Warrior, which is also Filmock. Hashtag not Godfrey Ho. Still continues, but uh, I saw the ninja in action print because I've, I've never seen the movie so uh, so i got to review it um so it was uh, nice to see because uh even if it is out there i don't think uh, widescreen versions have been available but um and ninja american warrior that's available from japanese vhs and floating about and and clash of the ninja so um at least we got something even if it was partly partly misinformed so yeah, that is us for this uh, episode. I've not mapped up there what we're going to do next. Um, trying to... Well, at one point we got to do, I think, there's actually been requests to do it. Even uh-huh. if it's only one, it's a request. A Golden Ninja Warrior. Aha. Uh-huh. Because that that's also IFD um, toying with us a little bit. Because it's um, nearly a full Taiwanese movie. Mm-hmm. That has tons of ninjas in it. And a Westerner. That kind of looks like uh, yeah. Richard Harrison. <laughs> Yeah, kind of, and kind of looks like um, the guy who replaced Richard Harrison, Bruce Barron. Yeah, but it, it, it's funny that that history of that Taiwanese movie is that that exists in two versions too: a local, mm-hmm. local non-ninja version and a international ninja-filled version. So you, they've already uh, at the original stage, there's already uh, been mixing, mixing and matching done. So they knew what was up. Yep, yep, they're timely as well. That's still like the only movie where they didn't fully exploit Richard Harrison because they don't bill him because he is in it, but uh, but it's footage from Ninja Terminator for a minute. But they don't bill him as starring Richard Harrison. They did the right thing for once, even though it's kind of like we, we, we are reusing the footage, but at least they bill him as special appearance. Indeed, so I mean he's in big letters. It's not like they hide him, hide him somewhere. Like, uh, but but I mean, like his only appearance is in the opening credits. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. It's um, he's bowing before the Golden Ninja Warrior. There's a bit from the action finale of Ninja Terminator, and then it's all the Taiwanese movie. So uh, that is um, uh, a good fun discussion to be had. So we might pair that up with something 
but right now I'm not sure what. So keep uh, keep watching the the uh, Facebook group for updates and what have you. So we'll uh, conclude this one. This has been the Golden Ninja Podcast on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com with all our other shows. So make your choice over there if you have a preference uh, then um, i'm sure we have an option or two for you and uh, let us know if you enjoyed it or even if you didn't uh, podcast on fire at googlemail.com click the button leading to our social media facebook twitter uh, the buttons at the top of our website that is click the itunes button to reach our feed subscribe rate leave a comment and uh, click stitcher radio's uh, button to find out uh, where you can stream us uh, either via the website or the application on the apple app store or google play I write about these movies, uh, IFT Filmark, and a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. My basic video reviews uh, are available on SleazyKVideo.com, and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And, Ed, you got the final plug, so... Sure. Uh, you can find uh, myself and the the kind of stuff that I do, including parodies of uh, IFT movies on our uh, series Ninja the Mission Force, um, info about foreign remakes of Hollywood films on Deja Vu, and... Uh, video game movies called press start at neonharbor.com i'm also on facebook at facebook.com slash neon harbor and on twitter at twitter.com slash neon underscore harbor hey how pested are you right now after the uh, uh, turkish star wars uh, print finding uh, from last year like uh, is the emails uh, increasing in terms of when it's getting released when is it getting released i've had a fair number of them and uh, i wish i had more information to give but right now uh, i don't have a lot it's interest you know and yes. hopefully no hopefully not abusive interest no 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 indeed no everybody has been really wonderful and supportive and that's exciting because that's the kind of stuff that helps make things happen it's like what i talked about that this enthusiasm and passion for niche stuff and if good-natured you know emails and uh, congratulations you found a print and this is going to be released if that's all good-natured also which is also connected to a sort of niche genre fandom then i i i think that's wonderful that people stay keep, keep themselves in check and don't become crappy i always i, I start to formulate that theory that the, the sort of narrower and more niche a fandom is the more good people could be connected to it horror fans can be legendary crappy legendary crappy to each other it's more mainstream than what we're talking about here so i always have a theory that the the smaller the fandom and the smaller the movies and more specialized the movies and subjects the the better the people surrounding it um, you'll find so uh, certainly seems to demonstrate that if people are not crappy to you yeah very cool. Uh, but uh, anyway, we are signing off. And in case you forgot, because it uh, it's never said over and over again in these movies, uh, we'll have to play a little clip to remind you of uh, the uh, what's up, according to uh, according to Richard Harrison in one of the ninja movies. So remember, I am the champion of the ninjas. <laughs>